Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Mark Dorenkamp fills in for MNN's Mike Grimm and gets the latest from the state's agriculture commissioner about his recent exploratory trade trip to Cuba. Tasha Radel gets some insight from a motivational speaker about New Year's resolutions and what we can do to more successfully follow through on them. And Bill Werner asks those in the know what we might expect from national and local politics in the year to come. But first, Minnesota Matters takes a look back at a few of the top stories from 2015. It was a turbulent summer on Lake Malak one of the premier walleye fishing destinations in the country. Absolutely shocked this was shut down right in the middle of the summer. Signals all summer it might happen as Mille Lacs neared its annual walleye quota while officials warn the population is dwindling. If you're going to wait till we break the lake, you won't have a lot of people to help because they'll be gone. Governor Mark Dayton went to Mille Lacs as tensions increased over gill netting. They are prepared to forego any netting on the lake next year. But one week later, the DNR still had to close the season. You are taking away the kids' 16th birthday party that just canceled for Saturday. The governor proposed a special session to help Mille Lacs businesses. Lawmakers couldn't agree. Immediate help in the next month or something, it's not happening. There's ice fishing on Mille Lacs this winter, but the question now is, what about next summer? What's the fix? Mr. Chairman, we're at the bottom and we're going up. Minnesota shockingly lost one of its own in the early morning hours of October 18th when Aiken County Deputy Steven Sandberg was killed in the line of duty. At about 5.17, a security officer from the St. Cloud Hospital contacted the St. Cloud Police Department and indicated that a shooting had occurred. Sandberg was gunned down by a patient he was guarding. Reminds us that our law enforcement officers risk their lives every day and every night to keep us safe. Aiken Mayor Gary Tibbetts. Just a good community person and just a really good family man. Aiken County Sheriff Scott Turner. This isn't something that we normally have happen on our front step. And so it's incredibly hard for us to lose somebody who was part of our organization. Deputy Sandberg's daughter Cassie spoke of her father at his funeral. My dad showed me how to treat people like human beings and not for what your preconceived ideas were of them. He gave everyone a chance. A high-stakes standoff between the three branches of government over the state's sex offender treatment program started in 2015. It's an issue that remains largely unresolved. U.S. District Judge Donovan Frank had been urging lawmakers for years to change the program, and when they didn't, he ruled it unconstitutional, saying no one has any realistic hope of ever getting out. Plaintiff's attorney Dan Gustafson. My clients, they hear the judge say in June that the program is unconstitutional, and now we're in August and nothing has changed. In late fall, the judge ordered the state to release offenders from the program who no longer pose enough risk to the public to be kept locked up. Governor Mark Dayton vowed he will not compromise Minnesotans' safety. I never want to put a family in that situation, and it's my responsibility to extend humanly possible to make sure that never happens. Dayton appealed, and it's looking like the whole issue might come to a head right in the middle of an election year. This is the third rail of Minnesota politics. No politician wanted to touch it. The arrest of a 52-year-old Painesville man facing multiple federal child pornography charges sparked renewed interest in one of the most talked-about Minnesota news stories of the past 26 years, the disappearance of Jacob Wetterling. We consider him to be a person of interest in the Wetterling abduction. That Mr. Heinrich was looked at very closely back in 1989 and 1990, so this isn't somebody new to us. Child sexual abuse and abduction is something that we can't tolerate, and I refuse to be silenced by this man. I, I, we were caught off guard like all of you. No one plays a more important role than you 
everyday citizens in reporting that little piece of information when added to other pieces of information will solve the puzzle and bring Jacob home. We will hope and pray that one day we will have the answer to the one question that we've asked forever. Where is Jacob? University of Minnesota football coach Jerry Kill surprised many on an emotional day in late October when he made the announcement that he was stepping down because of medical concerns. This is uh, the toughest thing that I've ever done in my life. When I walked off the practice field, I feel like a part of me died. I guess that's who I am, what God put me on earth to do. I just hope that he figures something out for me to do. I know somebody will ask, Coach, what are you going to do? I don't know. I've given every single ounce to the game and the state of Minnesota that I could. And as the year came to a close, the police shooting of Jamar Clark on November 15th spurred an immediate, ongoing, and often tense dialogue between community members, protesters, and political and law enforcement leaders. Several videos have been obtained related to this incident, none of which captured the event in its entirety. We want the tapes released now. Jamar deserves justice. This isn't justice, Betsy Hodges. This isn't justice, the city council of Minneapolis. This isn't justice, Governor Dayton. I'll talk to anybody if it helps to foresaw violence or actions that are threatening public safety. We reiterate that we have zero faith in this police department's desire to keep our community safe. If things escalate, then our response too has to escalate. What's happening with the police department is one aspect of what causes this to be a tale of two cities. The worst of times if you're black and the best of times if you're white. And those were just a few of the top stories in Minnesota in 2015. Up next, MNN's Bill Werner has a preview of the year ahead in politics when Minnesota Matters continues. Last night we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. <sighs> and we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before. And we invented glow in the dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. Woohoo! So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid all ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you and discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As we begin 2016, Minnesotans can expect a double dose of politics this year, whether we want it or not. There's a presidential election in the whole U.S. House and the entire Minnesota legislature up for election. Plus, there's a legislative session with the state having another big budget surplus. MNN's Bill Werner is here to do some prognostication for us. And Scott, certainly I'm going to get a lot of help from two noted political analysts. In a few minutes, Hamlin University political science professor David Schultz helps us get a handle on the upcoming legislative session. But first, Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shear on the race for the White House.
Professor, I, it seems to me, and probably first thing that everybody's kind of wondering is, are Republicans going to get their ducks in a row anytime soon? <laughs> That's a tough question. Uh, one of them is going to be the nominee, probably, but how we get from here to there is very hard to tell. Does this strike you as being unusual that that there hasn't that we have such a large field so far into the race? It is very unusual. I cannot think of another uh, time when we had so many candidates who are serious candidates for a party's presidential nomination. And further, the leading candidate, at least in the polls, Donald Trump, is not a prohibitive favorite to win the nomination. So there's a lot going on here that's very unclear. Have they let too much time elapse, or can they still, uh, uh, you know, pull this whole thing out, given uh, that that their convention will be in, in middle of July? Well, uh, it's quite possible they'll rally around one candidate because the last time we had a National Party convention that went more than one ballot to nominate a candidate was in 1952. So, you know, the trend has been a first ballot nomination for a candidate. Uh, However, if there's going to be an exception to that trend, this would be the year for it on the Republican side. Now, what about the the Democratic side? Is uh, is Hillary Clinton the the presumptive nominee there? Uh, barring any other unforeseen disclosures, I think Hillary Clinton is quite likely to be the nominee. And between then and now, those conventions are both. Well, the Democrats are are at the end of um, uh, July. The Republicans are what a week or so earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, between uh, now and then. Uh, we have um, the caucuses, um, beginning with Iowa and, and others early on in the year. And then we have Super Tuesday, uh, which Minnesota is participating in. Uh, how will things in this race, do you think, evolve through that uh, period? Well, you've got in February four contests, uh, the Iowa caucuses, then the New Hampshire primary, then the South Carolina primary, and then the Nevada caucuses. So. Uh, that will cull the field. There'll be some candidates who probably drop out by the end of February. And then uh, on March 1st, Super Tuesday, you have a whole, you have 12 states, most of them in the South, including the mega state of Texas, uh, plus Minnesota. Um, by the time you get to March, there'll be far fewer candidates in the field. But will there be a runaway prohibitive favorite who's the front runner? That's far from clear by then. That's Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shear. The Minnesota legislature goes back into session March 8th. It's the latest start date in recent history because the state capitol is torn up for renovations. And Hamlin University's David Schultz is here with his thoughts on what we can expect. Professor... We are going to have, I assume, an interesting legislative session uh, coming up in 2016, albeit a short one. Uh, Lawmakers have a pretty full plate, don't they, because of this uh, budget surplus? They have a huge plate in terms of things they have to do. The most important thing they're supposed to do, of course, is is the bonding bill. That's, That's the top of the list. And... But I think what's going to really, really rise to the surface of the list in terms of what representatives are going to have to deal with is is the surplus and how that plays out in terms of affecting the 2016 elections. And in fact, I think the real the real subtext of the 2016 legislative session is the 2016 legislative elections. 
a lot of folks are saying that 2016 will be kind of a repeat of 2015. That is the issues that were not resolved. In other words, some of the things like uh, gasoline tax, universal pre-kindergarten, business tax cuts, all those things, the interplay between Republicans and Democrats on those issues. Do you agree with that? I do. I think that we're going to see the same issues carry over. Plus, I think we're going to see an intensification of the partisan divides. Mm. While on the one hand, there may be some forces that lead the two sides to agreement. I think both of them are going to want to figure out ways of, of spending the surplus as much as possible to benefit themselves politically. Uh, however, how they're going to do that is going to be very, very different. Do we go into overtime this time around, or does, does the looming election and the requirement to campaign uh, uh, get them out on time? I think they get out of time. I think okay. if anything will happen is that they will accomplish even less than they accomplished last year. And what I mean by that is both because of the shortened session and B, um, they may just decide that they can't agree on a variety of things and just let it go. Unlike the budget year where you have to do the budget, that absolutely critically has to be done here. Even if they didn't do the bonding bill, while that would be not good, they could walk away. They could walk away and say, no bonding bill, no agreement on that and nothing would happen in terms of the state shutting down. So I see this as a session where the potential for very little being agreed upon um, is there, and they really don't accomplish too many things, because a lot of tough questions are, are really partisan divides at this point. Again, we have the issues as, as ranging anywhere from tax cuts to spending the surplus, universal pre-K. Um, I think polymet um, will be a big issue at the session. I think also an issue that should be at the agenda on the agenda, but no one wants to touch, will be addressing the court order with the Minnesota Sex Offender Treatment Program. So there's a lot that could actually and should actually be addressed during this session. I see most of it getting pushed to the side. The governor has, when, when the, uh, the budget forecast was released, uh, he said a gas tax increase is dead, but he sure didn't sound like it <laughs> if, if you read between the lines. He said it needed to be an initiative by the legislature. Do you think he's going to, going to continue to push for that? If I think of sort of the governor's agenda, his longer-term agenda, he's gotten almost everything that he wants at this point with the exception of two things. One is the universal pre-K, and then the other being some type of longer-term fix on infrastructure. Outside of that, um, he's more or less gotten everything he wants. And I think for his legacy purposes, he's going to want to push very hard on these last two items so that he can leave his governorship and say that he righted the state on education, righted the state in terms of, of infrastructure. Um, he got the, the finances in the order that he would like to see it. And so these are the two that I think he's got maybe a couple of more shots at, and I think he's going to push very, very hard. That's Hamlin University political science professor David Schultz. And Scott, you'll be down in Iowa for the run-up to the February 1st caucus. In early March, the legislature convenes, then state conventions, then the national conventions, and finally the big push to November 8th. So it will be a busy year for the both of us. A busy year and a fun year, Bill. Thanks for that report. More Minnesota Matters after this. doing your surgery is over oh it's over what happened hi mr detweiler dr newman here you have a new knee it went great you'll be up and around before you know it and it's all because of you 
Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minnesota Department of Ag Commissioner Dave Fredrickson recently led a delegation from the state to Cuba in hopes of creating future trade opportunities. Upon his return, Fredrickson spoke to Mark Dornkamp and told him the trip changed his view of the country. Over the years, I've carried a little baggage around regarding Cuba. When I was 18 years old, I was a recruit in Fort Leonard Wood, uh, Missouri, and uh, I happened to be there during October of 1962 and what happened then was the Cuban Missile Crisis. Of course, the base was put on the highest alert that any, uh, I believe, that any uh, military establishment has ever been put on during that time. So it was kind of petrifying, really. A uh, good thing we didn't have Twitter and Facebook to know what was going on. The news was always a little bit slow in reaching you, but that was 50-plus years ago. And so it was just, uh, I went there with, you know, sort of a little bit of an attitude and found people to be so warm and so uh, interested in in talking with the folks from the United States, uh, working with us. Their uh, question uh, constantly was, uh, when will the embargo be lifted? They want to get back to business as usual. And so it's a generational change, uh, no question about it. And I I was really encouraged uh, by that. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar and Representative Tom Emmer have both introduced legislation to normalize trade with Cuba. Fredrickson says the country presents many trade opportunities for Minnesota agriculture. We took a tour through a grocery store, and I just uh, had a chance to you know look at some of the uh, shelves, uh, and certainly many of the shelves were empty. I think there's a, a great opportunity for food product uh, from the U.S. I particularly think uh, pork and poultry are a couple of staples in their diet, as well as fish. Uh, but I think there's opportunity for uh, you know pork production. 
production uh, here and, and, and exports of pork product, exports of uh, poultry product. Their dairy industry virtually comes uh, from uh, Australia and New Zealand. So I think given the distance between Miami and Cuba, 45 minutes by air, uh, I would think that uh, dairy products would have a, a, a great opportunity for exports uh, in Cuba. And of course, uh, along with, uh, they're going to be you know looking at enhancing their own agriculture. We understand that trade is a two-way street, and uh, they'll be wanting to uh, you know enhance their own uh, livestock production. So I think there's an opportunity for uh, for a variety of products, a variety of services uh, in in the livestock uh, production business. How would you describe the current agriculture industry in Cuba as far as the technology that they're using and their ability to produce food? Well, I got a chance to get out into the countryside, and uh, you're seeing a lot of ox carts and a lot of oxen uh, working, uh, you know, in fields. Uh, a few tractors, but very few. And uh, it appears that uh, they're going to move in that direction, but they're going to move it move in that direction rather slowly. Um, I think they're probably, I don't know whether the Cuba economy can handle the shock that might come with an immediate uh, transformation. I think you're going to see that economy transform on a, on a slower uh, schedule. I know that the first shoe to fall will probably be in the area of tourism because Cuba lacks uh, hard currency and uh, they have a desire for hard currency and that can happen uh, with the um, the embargo lifted and the opportunity for tourism to take hold. I mean, there's a, a real interest in Cuba uh, from on the part of the Americans, uh, you know, not only just the old cars and the chance to revisit those, but the countryside. And so I think you're going to see uh, that grow exponentially. I've heard numbers in the area of $6 billion of potential tourism, uh, which uh, is no small uh, uh, change item. Anything else on the trip, Dave, that we haven't talked about yet? Well, just the the number of folks that went along. We had about 17 uh, folks that uh, were with us. We had representatives from a couple of law firms uh, here in Minnesota. We had representatives from uh, Seneca Foods and uh, Downs Food Group. We also had uh, people from Food Export Midwest. We had corn growers. Uh, we had turkey uh, grower representatives along. We had uh, wheat, uh, dairy, uh, Bob Zelenka from the Minnesota Feed and Grain Association, uh, Minnesota Barley Council member was along. So I thought we had a good, uh, solid representation of folks across the state. The trip was funded by the state legislature, and Fredrickson says there are plans in the new year to return to Cuba. One thing's for sure, Scott, the weather there would be welcome here right now. I know what you mean, Mark. Thanks for that report. More Minnesota Matters after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. 
Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. It's the time of year for setting New Year's resolutions. This week, MNN's Tasha Radel gets some advice on how to make those goals stick. Thanks, Scott. I don't know about you, but I have a real hard time following through on my resolutions. Not only is it embarrassing, but very frustrating. So I decided to seek out some advice from my friend, best-selling author and motivational speaker, Kristen Brown. Before we get going, Kristen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? I help people really look at their life and their work in a way that feels like they're making progress because sometimes we get so stuck in the day-to-day and the routine, which is good because it helps us feel like we're in control, but it's pretty easy to get stuck in a rut. So I help people get out of that rut, really take everything that they've already got. You don't have to change yourself. It's just shifting things around a little bit so that your life feels like it's meant for you. And, you know, uh, speaking of getting in the rut, I'm always kind of in a rut at the end of the year, and I kind of look at uh, New Year's and New Year's resolutions and and the New Year just kind of being a a clean slate. Do you hear that from a lot of people? Yeah, it's just such a good time because the holidays are really busy, and it's a time when a lot of things can kind of pile up on our plates. And kind of having that clean break to let go of those things makes the New Year not just a new year, but just a really mental fresh start too. And so I hear that all the time and it is a really great time to to make some changes. And when we talk about changes, I hate to admit this, but I don't think I've ever in my whole entire life followed through on a New Year's resolution. Um, Can you tell us a little bit, maybe, are there things we should be doing when we set a resolution to to hold ourselves accountable? Yeah, resolutions are a tough thing because when we set a resolution, we often set them too large. So we say, oh, I want to lose 20 pounds or 50 pounds or 100 pounds, or I want to quit smoking, or I want to organize my house. Well, those are such huge goals. They're so different from our current reality that it's hard to see kind of the light at the end of the tunnel because it's so different than where we are right now. So instead of saying, okay, I'm going to work out every day and not giving yourself a break, you need to give yourself a little wiggle room to say, okay, you know, I'm just going to be a little bit better today than I was yesterday. I'm going to not take that dessert today. I'm going to have an apple. Today I'm going to go to the gym, and if I go for an hour, that's great, but just getting there is the first step. It's not going for an hour every single day and just going all out. So giving yourself that wiggle room, setting a lot smaller goals can make those resolutions a lot more doable and more sustainable long-term, too. And I can't speak for everyone, but I always like a reward um, if I do if I do something good or I actually follow through on a goal. Is that a bad thing to do? No, that is the best thing to do because human nature is we need something to keep us motivated. And it's that lack of motivation that causes us to drop off of our resolutions a week or two in because we just don't feel that motivation anymore. So being able to set yourself up with the reward system that works for you. Some people are motivated by an actual physical reward. Sometimes it's a little mental break that they need. And some people are actually more motivated by risk. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you get something done, a reward is actually physically getting something. But a risk is if you don't accomplish something, you won't get this. So say, for example, you want to lose 20 pounds over the next three months or six months. Well, if your risk was, okay, if I don't lose that 20 pounds, I'm not going on that Caribbean cruise in April, that's a pretty big risk and you want to accomplish that, right? So 
you have to experiment with yourself to see if risk or reward is a better motivator for you. You know, we've talked a lot about um, resolutions and staying fit and healthy. Are there other top resolutions that come to mind uh, when when you're out uh, speaking to people or, or getting their feedback? Yeah, you know, in today's world, we spend so much time in the workplace. A lot of people are really looking to get a promotion or a raise or just increase their effectiveness at work because we spend so much time there. So how do you improve your work happiness? So that's a common one. Organizing the home is another big one. Fitness and health are always at the top of the list. Quitting smoking and finding love is a big one. So those are the most common that I hear. And, you know, I know that you um, have a thing called Motivational Monday, and I think I had read, and don't quote me, I don't remember if it was last week's or what week it was, but you had said if you could describe 2015 in one word and then looking to, to 2016. Can you explain that? Yeah, sometimes it's easy to create a list of goals that is so long that it actually feels stressful to look at that list, and it is not motivating at all. So if instead you can step back and say, okay, what if I could just say what I want my year to be like in one word, what would that word be? And how can that help drive my decisions, drive my actions? For 2015, you can look back and say, well, what would describe that year? And if that's what you want to continue, then use that same word. But if you want something different for your life in 2016, what would that be? I'll tell you what mine is. Mine for 2016 is rise. I really want to rise up and kind of own my own life, own my work, and really create the life on my terms. Kristen, anything else you want to add today that maybe I didn't bring up when it comes to the new year and and keeping motivated? I think people, you know, they get so stuck on the self-help books and guides that say, you're not good enough, you need to change yourself, you need to be a different person. And that's not the case. You are awesome the way that you are, but you just need to move things around a little bit so that your life does feel more energized, feels less stressful, so that you can step more into that vision you have for yourself. So don't kind of fall into that trap of, oh, I have to be different. I have to be something new. I'm not good enough. You are good enough. But let's just figure out how to maximize what you've already got to make it the way that you want for yourself. That's going to do it for this week. Have a happy new year. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening. And please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. 